Well, welcome to Grace. We're glad you guys are here. Let's pray one more time before we look at the word together. Let me invite you just to put your hand on your heart for this prayer. Father, we do pray in Jesus' name that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, plant your word in our hearts, change our lives, and be more like Jesus because we are here today. In his name we pray, amen. Well, there is a museum in Deadwood, South Dakota, that displays a note that was found near a dead body of a gold prospector from the days of the American Wild West. And the note reads, I lost my gun, I lost my horse, I'm out of food, the Indians are after me, but I've got all the gold I can carry. Some people have messed up priorities until their dying day. You know, I read a couple of weeks ago of <clears throat> some different people were having to make certain priorities decisions as the flames were coming closer to their house in Maui, and they only had an opportunity to go into the house one time and grab some things and, and run out the door and drive away. And as I thought about that, I thought, what would you do? I mean, what would you do if you had to only go in and you had like two minutes in your house to gather something before it burned to the ground? What would you run in and gather? It's interesting because also after the flames, after everything is burned up, several people came back and are kind of working their way through the rubble. And one reporter asked them, what are you looking for? And the answer usually was, I'm looking for some photos of my loved ones. You know, I've seen it many times, and you're, I've been beside many deathbeds, and, and when somebody's dying, what matters most to them is who they love and who loves them. So think about this morning, what are your priorities, really? If you had to list them off, priority number one, priority number two, Number three, what would your priority list look like? Well, Jesus has asked a question in Matthew chapter 22. And the question is basically, what are the priorities? The question is literally, what is the most important commandment? And here's what Jesus answers. Matthew 22, starting in verse 37 through verse 39. Jesus answers that question by saying, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus says that nothing is more important than loving God, number one, and loving other people, number two. We started last week this uh, six-week series entitled First Things First. And really, the series is a series on the six most important priorities of the church or the six most important priorities of the people of God. And last week, we talked about number one priority that we just read about, loving God with all of our heart and all of our soul, all of our strength, all of our mind. 
And we're calling loving, your loving God worship. Now, loving God is more than worship, but our focus last week was on the aspect of worship, loving God and worship. And we see today in this passage that priority number two is loving your neighbor as yourself. And we're calling that ministry. Now, God's word is quite clear about the fact that nothing is more important to God than that we love. Here's what 1 Corinthians 13, 3, the message paraphrase reads like this. No matter what I say or what I believe or what I do, I am bankrupt without love. I was reading something over the summer, and I, and I, I highlighted one statement in the book that I thought was so powerful and simply read, without love. Everything is nothing. Think about that for a second. You can rack up incredible personal achievements. You can get your picture on the cover of Fortune magazine or Time magazine. You can win the Nobel Peace Prize. You can have enormous accomplishments, you know, in whatever your field of endeavor is. You can be entrepreneur of the year. You can build a billion-dollar company, incredible success, and according to the Bible, if you don't have love in your heart, then it amounts to squat. That's my paraphrase. God's word says, I can have the eloquence of an order, the knowledge of a genius, the faith of a miracle worker, the generosity of a philanthropist, the achievements of a superstar. But if I don't love, it is worth zero. It counts as nothing. What matters to God is whether or not we love him and love other people. You know, there's something called the judgment seat of Christ for believers. Now, if you're a believer in Christ, if you repented and believe in Christ as your Savior and Lord, then you will not face judgment for your sins because Christ already bore your sins, absorbed your judgment when he hung on the cross. So you don't be judged for your sins. He already bore that judgment for you. But as a Christian, there is a judgment that we will stand in. We'll stand at the judgment seat of Christ before Christ, each one of us, and give an account for what we did with what he gave us. There will be rewards. There will be commendations. There will be future assignments handed out in the kingdom to come, all on the basis of how well we have loved how well we've loved God, how well we have loved other people. What matters most in God's eyes is how well are you loving? How well do you love? So we're going to look at the second great commandment today, loving your neighbor as yourself. I want us to think about what that really means and how we do it. Now, when you think about loving your neighbor as yourself, just think about that for a moment, how radical that is. To love your neighbor as yourself. It not only sounds radical to me, it sounds impossible to me. See, the truth of the matter is, I cannot do commandment number two if I don't do commandment number one. If I don't love God with all my heart and walk in his love, experience his love with, for me. If I don't walk in that love relationship with God, I'll never be able to love my neighbor as myself. 
See, it's when I do commandment number one, when I'm loving God and walking in his love, knowing how much he loves me, knowing that he will take care of me, knowing that he's got, you know, my future in his hands and he's, he's going to do it with infinite love, and I'm confident in that. If I'm confident that God's going to take care of me, I am released and liberated and freed up to love other people. I don't have to be thinking about how to make sure to take care of myself. I am freed up to love other people because God's going to take care of me. So if I don't have commandment number one, if I'm not walking in his love, I never, I'll never be able to do commandment number two. I'll never be able to love my neighbor because I'll be thinking about myself all the time, not them. But the more I realize that God loves me and I can be, I'm confident he's going to take care of me, the more I am freed up to love other people. So knowing God's love for me actually frees me up to do commandment number two. So that makes commandment number two, loving my neighbor as myself, possible. But how do I do it practically? That's what I want us to look at today. How do I love my neighbor as myself practically? Well, Jesus is talking to some religious leaders in Luke chapter 10. As he's talking to them, one of the religious leaders, a scribe, an expert in the Old Testament law, actually agrees with Jesus on the importance of the commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. He agrees with him. But then he asks Jesus a question. And the question he asks Jesus is, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus answers that question with a story. In fact, one of the well best-known stories in the Bible, the story of the Good Samaritan. So let's look at it again. Let's jump into that story. Many of you are familiar with it. But let's look at how we can learn to love our neighbor as ourselves practically from this story. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 30. Here's the story Jesus tells. A certain man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers. And they stripped him, and they beat him, and they went off leaving him half dead. So the trip now from Jerusalem to Jericho is 20 miles long. But it's also 3,600 feet down. It's a winding road called the Jericho Road. It was a road that was known for having a lot of muggings. Robbers and rapists hung out, hidden the rocks, waiting for some unsuspecting traveler to come by that they might mug and take everything that they have. In fact, one part of this road, the Jericho Road, is called the Bloody Way because so much blood has been, you know, spent on this, this uh, shed on this particular roadway. They called it the Bloody Way. So this guy in the story was traveling on that road, and he gets mugged. They stripped him, they beat him, and they left him half dead. By the way, as we get into the story, understand that this person had real needs. This was no scam. This was no guy acting like he needed a handout, because he, but he's really just too lazy to work. That's not the case. This is someone who really had need. They were stripped, beaten, and abandoned. So now along that same road comes another traveler. Let's pick it up, Luke 10, 31. And by chance, 
a certain priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. So remember now, Jesus is talking to these religious leaders. And so his example in the story are two religious leaders. A priest, we'll just call him a pastor. And a Levite, he's like the worship leader. So along comes a priest, a religious leader, probably returning from a period of duty in the temple for a period of time. He's on his way home to the country, to Jericho, where we know that there were a number, there was quite a group of priests who had country homes in Jericho. So they would serve their stint in the temple, and then they would travel home and be and have a break to be at home in the country with their family. So this priest had probably been working now for several days, and he's going home. But on his way home, he sees another human being stripped, beaten, and abandoned, and he passes by him. Now, the first question that comes to our mind is, how could he do that? How could he do that? But before we get too hard on this guy, let's think about what might have been going through his mind. We don't know for sure, but there are some things that probably were going through his mind. One thing that's probably going through his mind was probably fear. Maybe he thought, you know, whoever mugged that guy, they might still be lurking in the, behind the rocks and the boulders, and if I pause long enough to help him, then I'm going to be the next guy mugged, and there's going to be two guys laying on the road. So he might be saying to himself, so it would be prudent for me not to take such a risky step as to slow down, so I better pass on by. So you ever done that? You ever not stop to help somebody because it was too risky? I have. Well, maybe it wasn't fear. Maybe he was just too tired. I mean, he just worked a long stretch at the temple. He is drained. He's drained physically. He's drained emotionally. He probably didn't feel like he had anything else to give. I mean, he's been helping people for days on, and now it's finally time for him to get a break. He's probably thinking, you know, I, I don't have nothing else to give. I'm spent. Let somebody else help him. I just got to get home. So you ever done that? You ever not helped someone because you were just too tired? I have. Or maybe it's another thing. Maybe it's just the time factor, the hassle factor. Maybe he's thinking, you know what? This is going to be a major hassle. If I stop to help this guy, first of all, he may be dead. Or he may die while I'm helping him. And if, he, and if I touch a dead man, according to the Old Testament law, I have to go through cleansing. I've got to go back to Jerusalem, back to the temple, and I just want to go home. So I don't want to, you know, go through this time factor and hassle factor. So let me ask you, you ever done that? You ever not help someone because of the time involvement it would take and the hassle it would be? I have. 
Well, we don't know all that's going on in his head, but I suspect that if someone were to stop and ask him right at that moment, he would have had some good reasons for why he passed by on the other side. Well, after him, along comes the Levite. The Levite's the worship leader, one of the worship leaders in the temple. So he comes by, and he's going home for the same reason. He also has a home in Jericho in the countryside, and he's off. And he's looking forward to being home, resting up, being with his family. And so what does he do? He does the same exact thing. He passes by on the other side, and probably for the same reasons. So do you ever put yourself in that story and say, well, I wonder what you would have done if you would have been the next person to pass by, knowing all that you know now, what you would have done. Actually, Will Hoffman, our youth pastor, and I had a whole plan this week, and Will was going to dress up like somebody, and his car was broken down, and, and he was going to see how many people passed by. And they would call me this morning, and he's sick, so the whole thing just got blown away, and we didn't do the thing. But we actually talked about it. I said, you know what? I don't think the problem with people at Grace Community Church is that so many people are just going to pass by. I think... The issue is going to be so many people are going to stop to help you, we're going to have a congestion problem right there in the entrance of the parking lot. Because that's the kind of people that the people of Grace Community Church are. We're so much more like the third person that passes by. Let's just look at him and let's see what we can all learn from his life. Luke 10, 33, here's the third person. But a certain Samaritan who was on a journey, he's going somewhere came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. So Jesus inserts this person who is a Samaritan into the story. And remember, he's talking to Jewish leaders who hated, hated, hated Samaritans. In fact, when they heard the word, the hair in the back of their neck probably stood up. I mean, this is some of the ultimate racism of all time between the Jews and the Samaritans. So Jesus brings this character in, this character who they wouldn't even call Samaritan. They would have just called them dogs. That's what they referred to them as dogs. So Jesus brings this character into his story to show that God sees people differently than we do. God sees past the outside of a person. God sees past skin color. God sees past race and ethnicity and nationality. And God sees into the hearts because it's really the heart that determines what kind of person it is, not the outside. Because out of the heart flows your life. So the Good Samaritan now becomes an example of what loving your neighbor as yourself looks like. If you ever want an example, Jesus gives us one. This is what it looks like. Let's break it down. We can break down the practicalities from his life, what loving our neighbor as ourself looks like. Number one, loving my neighbor means I must see their need. It says when he saw him, love begins with the eyes. See, if you're unaware of needs and you can't care for needs, you have to see the need first. So this is a starting point. You know, we're, we're bumping into people all the time that are wounded, but we don't see it. And the biggest reason why we don't see it 
It's because we're too busy to see it. So the first thing, if I'm going to be a person who loves my neighbor as myself, I've got to be able to see the need. And what's going to keep me from seeing the need? Hurry. Busyness. In fact, I, another thing, I, another uh, phrase that I underlined one time when I was reading was, hurry is the death of kindness. See, if you and I are going to be kinder people, we've got to slow down. You've got to slow down or you'll never see the needs. You'll never know about them. So if you want to become a more loving person, if you really want to do that, then you have to slow down, slow enough to know what's going on in the people's lives around you. In fact, here's another phrase that's worth underlining, that is the slower you go, the more you see. Slower you go, the more you see. So loving your neighbors yourself means I've got to see their need. If I'm going to see their need, I've got to slow down. I've got to pay attention to what's going on around me, the people that are around me. If I'm going to love them as myself, I've got to know what the need is. So that's number one. If I'm going to, you know, be a, practically speaking, love my neighbors myself, I've got to see their need. I've got to slow down. Number two, loving my neighbor as myself means I must sympathize with their pain. It says when he saw him, he felt compassion. It's not enough just to see the need. I must sympathize with their pain. You ever wonder why God allows certain things to come into your life that are painful? I mean, you ever think to the Lord, like, Lord, why did you let this happen in my life? And later on, you come across somebody who had the same thing happen in their life and you're able to sympathize with them. You're able to speak real life into them, real hope and health, nothing trite, nothing superficial, nothing oversimplistic. See, God lets us go through a lot of things in our lives just so we will be able to love other people. Because we can't, I mean, we can't really sympathize with their pain if we don't know anything about it. And by the way, God is in the business of redeeming all of the pain we've been through. God will not waste your pain. He'll use it. So we've got to see their need, and that means slow down. We've got to sympathize with their pain, so realize all you've been through is purposeful, so you can enter into it, the pain of somebody else. The third thing we see from his life, if I'm going to learn to love my neighbor as myself, means I must... I must seize the moment. I must take action. I can't delay. I can't procrastinate. I can't wait. I've I got to seize the opportunity, that very moment. I'm going to be helpful. That's what Samaritan did. Let's read Luke 10, 34. And, it, and he came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. So he took action. By the way, love takes action. Love takes action. He didn't just say, well, I'm really sorry. Man, that's a horrible thing. That's such a bad situation. It just breaks my heart. And he got past all that, and he took action. I want you to notice what he, what he did. He used what he had with him. 
I mean, he actually dressed the man's wounds with wine and oil. Why did he do that? Because that's what he had. That's what he had with him on his donkey. Now, where did he get these bandages? You know, this guy probably was not a doctor. And it doesn't say he had a first aid kit handy. So where does this guy get bandages? Because he couldn't have got from the clothes of the man he's trying to help because he was stripped. He's naked. So where does he get bandages? Most likely, it's his own clothes he's tearing up. Maybe his own shirt he's ripping up. So he did what he could with what he had at that particular point. See, when someone needs your help and they, they need your compassion, they usually need it right then. So we have to seize the moment. When you see a need, we seize the moment and take action. But in order to do that, if I'm going to seize the moment and take action, there's two things I've got to be willing to do. Number one, I've got to be willing to be interrupted. Kindness happens not on your schedule, on their schedule. See, when, when, when the need is there, you've got to drop everything and help the need. I don't know how many of you guys have figured this out yet, but love is inconvenient. And kindness takes time. Sometimes to stop, stop and show kindness to someone, it throws your whole schedule off for the whole day. It just, your whole day goes out the window. This Samaritan was probably going somewhere. Maybe he had a big deal he was making in Jericho. Maybe he's a business owner. We don't know, but he was on a journey. He's going somewhere. He's got somewhere he's supposed to be. And it interrupts his whole schedule. This throws his whole day, you know, as an interruption. So if we're going to be those who love our neighbor practically as ourselves, then we've got to be willing to be interrupted. If we're not willing to be interrupted, we will never do it. So he's willing to be interrupted. Secondly, in order to seize the moment, he's willing to take a risk. A risk. Many times, the one thing that keeps us from being kind is our fear. Fear makes you unkind. Again, I'm not saying throw all caution out the window. I'm not saying don't be prudent. I'm just saying I think we all need to take a serious look at how much fear is holding us back from loving our neighbor as herself. I imagine fears that the Good Samaritan could have had are the same fears the priest and the Levite probably did have. The truth is fear can make us unkind. And I think, as Jesus said, as lawlessness increases in these last days, most people's love will grow cold. So we have to watch out for that. Make sure that doesn't happen to us. The Bible says there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. And so I need to walk in this love that God has for me and trust him and be willing to take some risk. And you have to determine what those are. But all of us will have to be willing to take some if we're going to love our neighbors or so. So I have to see their need. In order to do that, I've got to slow down. I've got to sympathize with their pain. I have to seize the moment. Take action. Number four, if I'm going to love my neighbors myself, I've got to be willing to spend whatever it takes. 
there's always a cost to kindness. Always. There's always a price tag. Inevitably, it'll cause us to sacrifice of our time, of our money, of our energy, of our reputation sometimes, of our privacy sometimes. Let's read Luke 10, 34, again in verse 35. He came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and put him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. This guy does all of this for a perfect, total stranger. First, he ministers to him. He ministers first aid at the scene of the crime. Then he puts him on his donkey. That means he's walking now all the way to Jericho. And so he walks his 20 miles, putting this hurting man on his own donkey. He gets to an inn, a motel basically, checks him in. He nurses him through the night. Then the next day, he's got somewhere he needs to be, but he goes to the innkeeper and says, look, would you keep taking care of him? I will give you money to keep taking care of him as I'm gone. And if it goes more than that, when I get back, put it on my credit card. I'll pay the rest. And Jesus says, this is what loving our neighbor looks like. This is Jesus' illustration. Jesus, this is what loving someone like yourself looks like. Seeing the need, sympathizing with the pain, seizing the moment, taking action, and spending whatever time, energy, money, privacy it takes. Then Jesus finishes this, one of the greatest stories ever told, finishes it, and then looks at the scribe after he finishes the story, and Jesus asks the scribe a question. Verse 36, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? Now, Jesus changes the question. The scribe's original question, remember, was, and who is my neighbor? That's one of those questions you ask trying to get out of doing something. So Jesus changes the question and says, which of these three proved to be a neighbor? In other words, which of these three loved their neighbor as themselves? And he answers, verse 37, the scribe said, the one who showed mercy toward him. And Jesus said to him, go and do the same. So Jesus said basically, right answer. That's the right answer. Then Jesus looks at him and then looks all the way down through the tunnel of time to us and says, go and do the same. Now this week, many of you are going to be in life groups talking about ministry, loving your neighbors yourself. And you're going to be in a circle and there are going to be some one or two probably in that room that in all honesty, if they were to really tell you the truth about how they're doing, they, were, they would say they feel stripped, stripped of self-respect, beaten up at the workplace and abandoned 
by friends, by family. They feel all alone. And they need someone to minister to them. And so don't let anybody leave your small group this week without getting ministry that needs it. Minister to them. Bandage up their wounds. Pray for them. Love them. Embrace them. Find out how to help them. That's what it's supposed to be like to be in the family of God. And also in a room this size, this many people in here, I have no doubt that there's some of you that in all honesty would say, I feel like that guy on the side of the road. I feel like that. Maybe it's not physical. Maybe you're not bleeding physically. But inside you just feel wounded. You feel stripped, beaten, abandoned. You feel all alone. I want to invite Brandy and Hosea to come on up here because we're going to close with a ministry time. And during this ministry time, see, there you are. Brandy, come on up. Hosea. Here's what we want to do. Some of you in all honesty say, look, I feel like I'm all alone. I feel like I'm hurting and no one's helping. I don't want anybody to leave this room today feeling that way. We want to minister to you, and here's how we're going to do it. There's a song I've asked Brandy to sing. The song is simply entitled, I Am Not Alone. I Am Not Alone. And during that song, we're going to have an opportunity just to to come up front, and you don't have to explain it to anybody. You don't have to explain your pain, your woundedness, any of it. Just come up, and there's going to be some people who just want to lay hands on you and pray for you. And please, if that's you, do not leave with your woundedness. Let us pray for you. We're all in this together. Let us be the family God intends us to be. So let me invite you to stand up. I'm going to pray. And then during this closing song, if that's you, you say, I just need, I need someone to pray for me, to minister to me. I, I, I feel the wounded, I feel some type of woundedness, some type of loneliness, something. If that's you, come up here, let us pray for you. And by the way, saints, as you see your brothers and sisters come up here, and you will, slip out of your seat and come, just put a hand on their shoulder and start to pray for them. You have to wait for me to call you up. Just come up and you see it. Father, you know the condition of everyone in this room. You know who is hurting right now, who's wounded, who feels alone, who needs your touch, needs your touch through your people. So we're asking you, Lord, to make this a safe place right now. Make it a place where we can just be family a place you can minister by your spirit, a place you can bring healing. In Jesus' name. So as Brandy sings, and just come on up and let us pray for you. be 
Jesus, we, are, we minister in your name. You have all authority in heaven and earth. And you're right here with us because we're meeting here in your name. Would you pour out your spirit upon all these needs right now? Through the laying on of hands, release healing power. Let it come. Let your kingdom power come. Restoring power. Lord, release it, we ask. We thank you that you're doing that right now. Right now, we receive it. We receive. We pray, Lord, during the series, we'd all learn to love more like you love. We pray, Lord, that there would be tremendous healing, Lord, as we love each other during these weeks. And also, as we go our way this week, Lord, we pray that you'd use us. Lord, enable us to slow down and see the needs, sympathize with the pain, seize the moment, and then spend whatever it takes to love our neighbor as ourselves. In Jesus' name.